Father in heaven, thank you for this moment in which we are dealing with a study and comparison between uh, Muslims and Christianity. Be with us in um, our presentation and also in outreaching them for um, the Lord Jesus. Because, Father, this is the main reason of our study here. Be with us and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, yesterday, um, when, um, when we finished, there were some people that approached kindly to me. And, um, and besides the evaluation that normally they perform regarding the presentation, um, they suggested that we continue doing um, the presentation in this way, if, if it's possible. And, and I am um, presenting that to you, that first of all, we do the presentation, and at the end, if there is uh, time, we are going to open a kind of place for questions and answers. Because uh, some of the people that uh, talked to me yesterday said, that uh, sometimes some questions or the intersection that the presentation takes after uh, some of the questions guide the presentation in a different direction. And sometimes the main point is uh, losing or getting loose at the end. And that is not right, they, they feel. So um, my suggestion is um, that um, several of you made me some very good um, observations yesterday, especially Cindy, and I'm going to mention and amplify that in the review today, um, because it's, it's good to share. Because, by the way, as a presenter, I am very aware of I don't know everything about the subject, and sometimes we need to interact and be open uh, regarding the, the topics that we are presenting, especially when we are doing this with different uh, cultures and so on. Because um, I've been a pastor um, for um, 40 years so far, and, um, and in different places, and I've been uh, in touch with um, several other movements. And this is very special. So um, let me do a review, general review of of what we were uh, talking yesterday in the general presentation. When we are talking about Islam, because yesterday at the beginning, we were asking if the Muslim religion or Islam is a movement like any other movement, like Catholicism, Pentecostals, and so on. And it's not, because basically Islam is a theocratic regime. And, and, this is not, and this is not from from my point of view, it's here. It's in the introduction of the Hadith. And the Hadith means the tradition. Um, Islam says it's a heavenly system or regime for all the dwellers of the earth. And it, and it is a mighty treasure if only mankind realize its authenticity and truth. Well, I have questions regarding these two last things, <laughs> authenticity and truth. However, it's very clear, it's a, it's a regime, and a heavenly 
That is a theocratic. They answer to Allah. So Allah reveals in the Quran and also in the Hadith that is the tradition. Yesterday we were explaining about what is the Quran and Hadith. And I'm going to shortly review that. Uh, the Quran is the most sacred book in the um, Muslim religion or Islam, and is like the equivalent of the Bible. And if you put another uh, movement, it's like the Book of Mormon in Mormonism. And by the way, we do some connections, and we are going to make them more extensive in one of the presentations in regarding a comparison between the Muslims and the Mormons, and you are going to see a fascinating connections among them. Revelation through an angel, their own book, and the message to all the world, um, by the way, and, um, and with um, several other things that we are going to compare about that, um, without avoiding polygamy, of course. So um, the second point that is important, it is that um, the, the Muslim religion or, or Islam is coming after Jewish and Christians and absorbs elements from both of them. So we are going to um, take a kind of connection with a religious movement that is, in certain sense, indebted to the Jewish and also to the Christians, but sometimes they didn't use copyright quotations about them. There are no notes or something like that. Um, however, we are going to see, and I'm going to explore that, um, probably between tomorrow and Thursday, that there is also an influence coming from other sources than that. And some, for example, um, like Apocrypha post-New Testament or, or pseudo-epigraph writings. Pseudo-epigraph, when we are, are talking about pseudo is the Greek word for false epigraph writings. So false post-New Testament writings. Like, for example, um, some of the um, Timothy Gospel or something like that, or the Gospel of James or something like that. There is a letter of James, but not a Gospel. You know, and that, that is pseudo-epigrapha, the word that they apply for that kind of apocrypha, apocryphal writings, uh, post-New Testament, like there were something in the Old Testament. We are going to refer about that in detail more uh, in advanced in the presentation. Not today, but in the following days. Quran quotes and refer to the Bible with no specific. Uh, they are not going to say, you know, this chapter and verse, but refers to the Bible. But it's important to know that the Bible doesn't quote Quran. It's, it's obvious that, you know? So dependency is coming later, but not before. And please take in count that, because if, if you keep that in mind, it's good for the argumentative and apologetics that you are going to apply in the future. And some of the things that are 
uh, importance. Yesterday, um, we were surveying a little bit how much you know about Islam. Um, um, we asked if there is conversion, repentance, uh, pardon, and baptism. None of them. There is, there is not a no. It's submission, yes, to Allah and the Prophet. But uh, no repentance, no conversion, no baptism. Uh, oh, and this is another detail. No new creature in, 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 inside the, the Muslims. And no commandments in the Islam. Um, they are, they say, they said that there, there are commandments, but you are not going to quote or see the structure of the Ten Commandments like it is in the Bible. And this is important. Why? Because, because commandments, and, um, and probably my friend here is going to, to help me much more um, uh, what we are going to say, because commandments in the Bible influenced the legal writings in our society. Probably in, in all the Western judicial system, you are going to see that the commandments establish a pattern of influence regarding the law, regarding the, the, the Western country laws. And that is something that is missing in the Islam. And that is important to take in account. And, um, and the other, it's, um, it's on expansion. And we were talking yesterday. I'm not going to repeat that, but they are expanding in the Middle East. They are expanding in Europe. They are expanding in Latin America. And they are expanding here in USA. And I've been telling yesterday that the expansion in the, in the Middle East is something that is fascinating because they not only demolished completely all what is a resemblance of Christianity in the Middle East, but when you cover the, the space and time in which the former Christian churches were located in the Middle East, they were completely taken and blotted out for, for history and for the future. And that is important to take in account because when they put their own culture upon that, the past doesn't exist any longer. So yesterday, um, my friend here, Cindy, helped me. And I'm going to share with you um, this that I've been looking in the, in the internet. And this is a good fruit of the, of the seminar because interaction always is good. Um, yesterday we were talking about September 11, and I guess who was um, Jay Friday night or 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 who uh, Saturday morning that asked us asked us um, if we remember where where we were on September 11, and I until today I I can say where I was. I was crossing exit 110. When I, when I received a phone call from my daughter, she was uh, doing the master's degree at Andrews University, and she said, Dad, they are attacking 
the Twin Towers. And I, and I say, I, 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 I can repeat the complete dialogue. I say, look, Annie, change channel. Uh, and she say, I changed the channel. <laughs> and the next channel, and the next channel, we're saying the same thing. And, and Jay was. Because he said, we were with superintendent meetings. And that's right. In those days, I was part of that, even, even though I was in an arbor. And we suspended the, the meeting. And we all quietly... Um, with not knowing what to do, because we were in Lansing, and everything was uh, happening far away, we were watching that and, and asking us what we can do for that, because it was destroyed uh, after destroyed in that day. Every one of you, I can say, you are going to remember that day and where you were, of course, because it was... It was um, a big damage. But, um, but yesterday, um, Cindy told us if we know the reason about the September 11. And, uh, and researching about this, uh, there is a place, there is, um, if you have your, your cell phones and it's um, kind of a smartphones and you can check on the internet, there is a place called, uh, and the title is, The Top Four Reasons September 11 is Significant to Islam. The Top Four Reasons September 11 is Significant to Islam. And you are going to find the first is what she told us yesterday. That is a kind of situation with the, um, the Battle of Vienna that happened on, on, September, on September 11 and 12 of 1683 um, that happened that. But also, there is the siege of Malta. The siege of Malta that happened in 11, September, September 11, 1565. And also happened in 1609. It's September 11, 1609 is the moment in which Spain decreed the expulsion of the Muslims from Spain. You know, there are, there are places, I don't know if, there are places in Spain that call my attention because um, um, a few, what I will say, kilometers out, Madrid, there, there, there are um, reminders of uh, several cultures together. When you go, for example, to Segovia, Segovia is um, a very small population outside Madrid, and you are going to find that uh, there are um, an aqueduct from the times of Rome, and it's still in place, the aqueduct, very big one. And you can search that in the internet. But also is the Alcazar. And that is not Spanish word. And that is not a Roman word. It's not Latin. That is Arabic. And that is the time in which there were 
in that time in Segovia. So the stylish of the city, you are going to see a picture of the times around from Rome to Christianity. There is one place here. And, um, and there is another here. Okay. So, okay, thank you very much for your help. And, uh, and when you, you see the, the kind of picture pictorial in the view of the city, it's fascinating because it's a kind of reminding in each corner about the different cultures and how they developed in, inside that uh, city. And they were over there. And they were uh, expulsed or they sent out in uh, September 11, uh, 1609. And finally is the Battle of Senta in September 11, 1697. So in all those dates, there is something in common. In all those dates. September 11 in the history of the Muslim, in their connection with Europe, they were in withdrawal. They were, they have to backward. In, you know, that, that is important to, to take in account. So that was not kind of a success for them. So they think that September 11 was a victory for them. And I was surprised because for me, uh, it was a coward attack. And, um, and let me tell you that I, I, I saw the reaction in the Arabic slash Muslim countries when they were shouting like victory upon that. And that is, that is not the, the feeling that is coming from a true religion. That was my innermost perception. Because when you are going, because this is not a battle, they were passengers from, from 55 countries or more uh, around the world that they were taken um, and kidnapped and destroyed in that event. That is a coward attack. That is, that is the simple way for me to put it in, in, in one sentence because there is no other explanation. This is not this. This is not. Um, even, even though you can say, well, we can dispute the Spanish background. Well, it's an expulsion, but this is not an extermination. They put them out alive. Um, and the others were a battle, former battles, in which they were in the... Um, in the withdrawing of the territory that they tried to invade. But this is other thing telling about the ethics in the Muslims. And, and probably you are going to build up your, your own perception slash of the ethics in the Muslims regarding these uh, things. So the, um, we are going to explore elements of contact in common, of course, and, um, and my presentation here favors, and I've been answering some of the points, um, religious freedom, 
what I am going to say is that this, I don't know if you are aware that they charge a tax in the Muslim countries, uh, the jizya, to, to those who are coming or are uh, Christians and live in those countries. Are, are you aware of that? Yeah. Well, I do believe in the reciprocity. Fair is fair. It's, hey, is violent? No. No violence. It's a, a logical reciprocity. You are here, you are here, and you are charging taxes in your country, so we are going to charge you to be here. The same thing. It's fair. And it's logical. Why not? And, and we are going to study, this is going, this is going, to, um, this is going to take me a little bit of, of um, building up. Um, and probably between Thursday, Friday, I'm going to do it. Outreaching models. Because there are, in this moment, I'm going to pick up my book on perspectives. That is the book I, I gave you a hint yesterday, Perspective and Mission, because there are models regarding mission, how we might be able to, to work. I, please, don't have a doubt in my presentation that I do believe that Mohammed is a prophet. I do believe Mohammed is a prophet. Only let me put... Um, a prefix upon that. Mohammed is a false prophet. Okay? And it's, um, Islam is a religion. Yes? It's a religion. But it's a false religion. So from, from the outstarting point, I'm going to give you my, my credential regarding this topic. But of course, this is not my recommendation to go into approach at the beginning. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So if you are going to establish a dialogue with, with um, you know, something that you do not believe that is in right conditions to put in the same place, you are not going to say that from the beginning. So what we are going to do is to build up elements together, and we are going to um, in a free country, and this is one of them. Thanks God, there are more than one free country in which still we can express our, our thinking and we do have freedom of speech. And that is one of the best countries in the world for that. And several in Latin America are in that condition. Not everybody by the way, sometimes you need to um, dress your words, you know, a little bit. In some places, you need to put, to put in some words a Pope dress, you know, to sanctify the words that you are going to choose and select before you emit them. But um, this is a country in which we do have uh, freedom of speech. I recommend 
yesterday the book of, of um, this uh, lady. Uh, she, uh, here is the name. She is Giselle Littman. And, um, and Giselle Littman is here. It's, 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 it, the name is here. Uh, she's a Jewish, by the way. And uh, I don't have prejudices or, or bias regarding that. But she was born in Egypt. And, and she wrote this book in French and translated into English. And it's the decline of the Eastern Christianity under Islam. And, and, there, is, and, and there, there is something quite interesting here. Because uh, Bet Shaor, what, what is uh, telling, is not covering only Jewish condition. She is telling us that all the influence in the Islam, especially in the Middle East, they suppress all the presence of Jewish and Christians alike. And that is important that we need to take in account because every time that you see an expansion, you are going to see a kind of dimitude. She used, she used this word, dimitude, uh, dimitude, or it's the right dimitude, you can say that way. That is the consequence of the jihad, or the jihad, that Islam imposes into those ethnic people under slave service and tax sometimes. So they made them disappear. Not in maybe the first generation sometimes, but in the second generation. And that is, there is a, a long reference and very important documentation there is regarding Turkey. Turkey may disappear one of the biggest Christian bastions in the Middle East that were the Armenians. And, um, and that, that was a genocide. A genocide. That was a genocide. They denied. They don't use that. They say that we're um, in battle and so on. But no, that was a genocide. They eliminate them. And not only that. And that is something that we need to create some kind of, what I will say, public awareness about the condition. It is not a pro-violent view, but it's, it's a kind of awareness, is sharing information to avoid that some of these things might happen again, like the Rwandan genocide. Yes. I've, been, I've, been with, um, I've been with the Rwandan several times, and uh, I am a multi-ethnic director here, and I'm visiting these uh, congregations. And by the way, the Rwandan genocide is about 800,000 people disappeared. By the way, this is a tiny country in Africa. When you, when, when you watch the map of Africa and you watch Rwanda, you say, where is Rwanda? And when finally you find that in the map, in the intersection uh, um, in, into the Orient of Congo, south of Uganda, north of Burundi, and, and you see that tiny place, you say, how in the world 800,000 people disappear? Why? 
Hey, tribal. Tribal against tribal. So um, there were um, there was a, there was a fight between Tutsis and Hutus. <coughs> and you know what? When we are working with them, sometimes people in I mean, in, in level of administration ask us, um, are these uh, Tutsis or Hutus? And I say we never use that kind of specifics because they are here in USA. They are new creatures and new citizens in this country. So no more labels for them. And that is, you know, we, we need to reinforce that kind of view because if not, we are going to fight with the background and the, and the background is going to start with a hate and the hate is going to divide. So no more tribal backgrounds in our dealings with them because they are in a new vision and so on. But the history is alarming. But you know, when um, we are not the only people reading history. When, when history is read, there are good people reading history and also there are bad people reading history. <clears throat> And I touch base, and I don't know if I do have here in the presentation. I guess I don't have here. But probably I'm going to pull <clears throat> my files and bring it tomorrow in order to reinforce uh, what I'm saying here with the proper documentation that one of the observants of history with what happened with the Armenians in the Middle East was a person under the name Adolf Hitler. And he observed that nothing happened when they exterminate the Armenians. And he asked himself, who in the world is asking who are exterminating them? And that was part of the rationale for him to do the next. So the silence of history sometimes is risky. When we get information and we do not act accordingly with that information, that is truthful information, there is risk of other people's lives. And that is a reality because six million Jewish people died. And, um, and that, is, that is critical. And please understand something. I'm not taking sides. I am in favor of life. In this case, I am a pro-life. <laughs> I'm not talking about abortion, of course. Uh, but, um, but it's a Christian view. We need people alive and share our message for salvation. Because that is, that is in essence, the, the essential view in the mission of the church. So um, she, um, Giselle Littman, she coined the, the, the another word. This is the other word that she invented, Eurabia. Uh, and, and, and yesterday we were referring uh, about this because she said, if we Europeans do not do something regarding this, kind of influx 
of immigrants, we soon, we are going not to be Europe any longer. We are going to be called Arabia, she said. And that's true, because if you go to, to Paris, all those who are bringing, you know, the little um, 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 in Champs-Élysées, Tour Eiffel's, you know, there oh, all of them, the majority, are, are Muslims. Um, this was the cover of the New York Times in 2015. Is the is the end of Christianity in the Middle East? That that is um, that is very very critical because um, uh, the, this point is critical. Some point this means that from the triangle Christianity issue with Muslim. Um, one, the Christians are dropping out. And when we are trying to get the sources of historical background of Christianity in the Middle East, Middle East went away. It's completely almost disappeared. And I'm going to bring you some of the things and elements that you are going to have. Yesterday, I, I also presented this that is uh, part of the review and probably the last one. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to continue with review from this, because the review probably is going to take me more than anything else. Um, that, that, that is the moment in which Islam appears. That is about 600 years after um, um, the, the time of, of the Lord Jesus. And they established and put a mosque upon the former temple of Jerusalem. So... Um, uh, remember that it is it is important to take in in count, um, and there are some things in, and, and that is that is behind this this kind of selection in the time. When you put the historical framework, first of all, you are going to avoid anachronism, anachronism. So sometimes there are elements anachronic in their presentations. And I'm going to, to work at some point, something like that. And about the expropriation of the lands. Because the lands, that was Israel. It was, it was very clear. It's in the Bible. And they expropriated a lot of sections of those that were um, living in, in that time. And Islam were taken uh, in the mosque, elements of the synagogues and the church, and, and finally they impose upon them. Okay, um, let's talk briefly about Quran. Quran, <clears throat> I don't know, I, let me share with you a detail here. I, uh, there are two words or two um, ways in which in English, good English, you can write the Quran. Uh, one is this, Quran, K-U-R-A-N, and also K-O-R-E-N, both of them. I, I saw a lot of literature, and uh, both of them I've been um, um, acceptable, I will say. And uh, you don't have, like in Spanish, a Royal Academy. Sometimes you are tensions with British people in, in the way you are going to express certain or uh, pronounce certain words. But um, I, I opted for this. But if in the presentation appears something with K-O, 
uh, is the same thing. So uh, don't worry for that. Quran is the name of the religious book of the Islam. It is composed by chapters called shuras, and there is normally a name of each one of them, um, shuras or chapters, that is divided in verses, ayah, like in the Bible, by the way. So the same structure. And here he's telling you something, because when you compare um, the Bible with other writings from the East or, or, the, or the Asia, you are going to see that the structure is not following the Bible. So this is, this is telling you a kind of dependency in the writings and in the sources. That, that is telling you something of information I can. And it's quote like the Bible, the name of the Shura, the chapter, and the verse. Um, and there are several factors that move me to observe the point in history um, um, because Islam appears uh, with historical dependence of Judaism and Christian movements, and there are anachronisms in the Quran. We are going to quote them and refer to them by, by this way, Shura and verse and so on. And there is a systematic expropriation of Christianity in the Middle East, by the way. One of the things that you are going to observe in ISIS working in the Middle East is how they were attacking, destroying, and trying to make disappear uh, from the, the face of the earth any symbolic representation of precedence of them. And this is a background. There is a background. And I am going to, to, to show you when we were speaking about Kaaba, where this tendency is coming, because this is critical, you know? Normally, when we write history, we build up history, and we refer the background of the historical places. In the Muslim literature and history, there is something very clear. Before them, there is nothing else. And that is a vision, of course, that is um, something that nurtured the genocide of certain Christian people. But still, let me give you some hints. Still, there is a kind of combined elements, and this is one of them. Hagia Sophia. Hagia Sophia, the Holy Sophie, that used to be a Christian church, with the time became a mosque. And now it's a museum, okay? But inside, inside, you are going to find in front some of these things that they didn't delete yet. And, uh, and it's late because pictures and iPhones and Samsungs and and LGs or, or, or whatever, it's mobile and, and photography are going to take the pictures. And this is telling you that this is a museum with a background of Muslims that under those things were Christians in, 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 in the background of the history. So this is a kind of Christian sepulcher 
if I can call that way, under Muslim view and vision, and is what remains visible, but is a sign of how Islamism put Christianity under their feet, and what is their future view of the Christian civilization. Of course, the name of Muhammad and Allah are very uh, clear represented there, but there is a mix of both, okay? That is the reality. Let me please uh, fix this because it, um, it hit my view. Sorry for that. If, if you see something that is, that is so critical, let me, let me know. So the reality behind Islamic religion is not expanded by a missionary work. They expand, by the way, by missionary work, but not only that. Uh, neither by offering studies over the Quran, but by war and territorial um, uh, conquests. And that is, that is very clear. Those that were dominated and did not accept Islamic faith, they have to pay the jizya, that is the Islamic tax. And, um, and in, in this way, many converted into Islam without conviction, just to avoid taxes. And, and you know, when, uh, when, uh, when I've been dealing here with several kind of cultures, um, some people that come into USA in their own countries didn't pay taxes before. And, uh, and some of them are paying consequences for that because they were enjoying uh, having big returns at the beginning, but when they retire, they don't get anything. And, um, and that, that, is, that is something quite interesting. But, you know, sometimes heart is very complex here. But, but here, the point is that the taxes that they are paying are based upon what the Quran says. So this is, this is not coming from the local government by, by the inspiration, uh, quotations uh, refer, coming from Allah in the Quran. So that is something coming from that. That is telling you um, a lot about this, this thing regarding the, the taxes. Uh, Christianity is being sepulchred um, in the Middle East. When you, when you read in the Bible about Damascus, Syria, um, there is not any longer um, a, a Christianity over there. Ephesus in Turkey. Galatia in Turkey. Colossus destroyed by the Turks. Antioch. Today is Antakya um, now in Turkey. And several of the churches of Revelations are gone. Simple. They are, they are gone. They, they don't exist any, any longer. Um, one of the things that called my attention is the word Ashishim. Ashishim. 
because this is the nurture uh, linguistically of the word assassin in English. But when you go to Sherman, the word is in German. And when you go to French, the word is in French. In Italian, it is in Italian. It is in English and Spanish, assassino. So what is the common denominator? Because this is the common denominator, ashish. And you know what is ashish. When I was, um, when I was uh, doing Bible studies to uh, Chaldean Christians in Detroit, um, um, the, these persons say, well, we do have a family member with us, and she turned into the herbs, and herbs. And, and he says, to clarify, hashish, or means drugs. But hashish, originally, is heroin. And this is the basic, the basic drug that they nurture with when, when this Nasir, Islamic secret sect, they were combating what you mentioned, the, the yesterday presentation. When the Crusades came, they invented um, a social um, kind of secret society, maybe better to say, a uh, um, secret society to battle, and they did it with the Ash-Shim. They take that drug and they kill Christians. And the Ash-Shishims is coming. So terrorists is a long story before terrorism nowadays. That, that is the point. Um, today, they consider martyrs those who die killing Westerners. And, and there is a kind of promise if they, um, you know, if they kill a lot of them. And this fact is coming from a culture of violence. And, and, and here is something. I do not see many government Arabic leaders immediately appearing in the news telling that they are going to reject that. That they're going to what? Reject the killings in opposition of that. And that is, that is, that is telling you there is a kind of cohabitation with, with a culture of violence with them. It is. It is. In, because in secret, they are approving that. And that is the point. And please, we, we don't need to be kind to see, well, maybe they forgot what happened in London and what happened in France and what happened in Germany and what happened in September 11 here and so on. Financially, but um, Financially support them. Oh, of course. Of course. I'm going to make some quotations regarding that. Because... <clears throat> Think, think about, and I'm not going to enter today in, in that. One of the things that have been observed of, and uh, I do remember when, I don't know when, 2000, maybe 2001, or before, be, be, of course, before September 11, we, we pay a visit, and my sons, and my, um, my sons took a picture um, very, very near Twin Towers. 
and was a glorious building, by the way. And, um, but you know, some things in our civilization start the kind of envy of other people. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if you follow what I'm saying. But when you check the timeline, all the buildings in Dubai and in other cities in the Middle East and the Arabic countries came after that kind of crashes that happened here. Check the history. Check the change. Check about the things. And you are going to see that there is a kind of diversion in the investment of the money into that. And, uh, and please, uh, of course, it's not a candid vision, but it's a kind of insight upon the, the topic here. Um, they believe when they are killing that they render a supreme offering, um, a supreme service to Allah. And they mention the name of Allah every time that they perform that kind of killings. So, which ethic is compatible with the concept of them? Have you heard of a Jewish killing himself in a restaurant full of German Nazi supporters? Uh, uh, have you heard something like that? That, uh, um, you know, a Jewish enter in a restaurant uh, full of Nazis and, and kill himself, killing others? You never see that. Uh, when, when you compare missions and situation in ethics, this is telling something about one people with commandments and others with a culture without commandments. That, that is important to take in account because when you build up a culture around the commandments, is you are going to get another ethic. There is another ethical vision in, in the people, in the citizens, and in the next generation. Because you are not going to see also new generations of Jewish people doing the, that kind of thing. And this is telling you and he's giving you some kind of information. Have you heard of a Christian killing himself in a restaurant full of Islam supporters? You know, enter with a bomb and poof, kill them. Sometimes there are feelings, but not realities, you know? These martyrs, are they sons of Saudi sheikhs? Or a Saudis kings? No, they are not. They are simple population that are, you know, wash brain under some of their leaders until they get a killer from that person. And that is a very serious problem of the Muslim ethic here. Because you, you are going to find out something. Um, there is silence regarding that. They are not a community of teachers of Islam coming together and say, we reprove this. From time to time, some who are connected, they are doing that. But 
remember something. Some of them came into that direction because some Christian leaders that know them came to them and they say, and what do you think about this? Uh, they say, well, what, you, you think that we need to say something? Yeah, it's going to be helpful. Well, oh, we disapprove this. But you don't see kind of fervent reaction to that. And that is something that we need to explore. Why? Because in the root, in the root of the root, there is the Quran. And the Quran favors the, the jihad. And the hadith, the tradition of the prophet, reinforces that vision of the jihad. So jihad is enrooted in the mind. More than that, maybe it's a kind of commandment coming from the prophet regarding that. And I'm going to show that. And it's in the Quran, by the way. So, yes, it's sometimes both of them. But, uh, okay, how, how people uh, became a Muslim? We say it's not by conversion, it's not by baptism, but it's accepting and professing the five pillars of the faith. Faith, that is the jahada. That means there is no other God than Allah and Muhammad, his prophet. In the moment a person says that, is is a Muslim. Technically, it's a Muslim. Um, they have from that on to apply the prayer, that is the Salat, five prayers in the day, starting uh, 5 a.m. in the morning with, with the first sound, middle morning, noon, middle afternoon, and with the, with the sunset, uh, you perform the last prayer. And the Sakat, that means the offering for the local mosque for, for charity. They are very taking care of their own community. I was one day in uh, San Andres Island. From that, there is an island in the Caribbean islands that belongs to Colombia. They speak, by the way, English. And I was listening conversation because when you approach to a cashier, you never know who is the cashier. But I was with the owner of the, of the um, market, local market. And there was a faithful member of the um, Muslim community in that tiny Caribbean island, and he began to ask him questions if they were doing the Salat to the mosque. And I heard that in English. And, um, and uh, they shift back and forth, and it was very clear that one was more secular oriented, and the other was more, more pro-Islamic. The other is the, the fasting of the Ramadan. Um, they were finishing um, very close to now the Ramadan this year. And Ramadan is the fasting. They fast for the entire day, but they eat by night. And there is a secret, sometimes kind of Islamic joke inside the, the Islamic community that the month of Ramadan in which they perform, you know, the fast 
is the time in which they get more weight than before. <laughs> because as soon as sunset comes, they eat like hey, And there is a kind of festivity and so on. This is coming from the, um, the Quran. And the Ah, that is the pilgrimage to the Mecca, where uh, with the center of Kaaba. We are going to talk about Kaaba in, in the following presentation. So let's uh, start today in the few moments that we have now about the Quran. Uh, Quran is the essential book of the Muslims religion and, um, and there is a kind of double standard um, ethic because each shura that starts the chapter starts saying, in the name of Allah, the most beneficent and the most merciful. And uh, today, talking with a friend here, um, he mentioned about abrogation. We are going to talk about abrogation probably tomorrow. But there are this introduction. is going to be in every shura, but there is not in Shura 9 that speak about abrogation. And I'm going to talk in detail tomorrow about that. It's important that you get that perspective. Because in, for me, it is it's very quite interesting. Even here in the Hadith, you are going to see that, that when they refer about sacred things, they start, um, for example, all the praises and thanks to Allah, the most beneficent and the most merciful. You know? And you, and you see in every single mention that kind of expression. But what about the killings? What, what about the killings? You know, um, for the, when, when George Bush said Islam is peace, I was shocked. I was shocked because when you see the lot of killings, I cannot equal, you know, in my, I am, I'm not good in mathematics in this kind of sense. I, I cannot equal with, uh, with this situation, how in such a bountiful expression of peace, there is a lot of killings. There is no other religion in this time with, with, in which you can see that kind of killings. Others, or other religions. So, however, as soon as you advance in reading the Noble Quran, because they call that way the Noble Quran, the beneficences and mercifulness, spirit of Allah, is just rhetoric. You, you cannot say uh, in another way. Those words are like linguistic shield behind which it is the jihad and the extortion and the submission by power and by the influence of the locals upon the others. Let me, let me talk briefly about the hadiths. Because sometimes there are things, things that you cannot find in the Quran, but are here in the Hadith. In the Hadith. Um, 
When I compare yesterday the Hadith, I compare the Hadith with the traditions inside the Catholic Church. So when, when, uh, when, we talk, when we talk about Catholicism and we talk about scriptures, you know, the, the center of Catholicism is upon the Pope. And, uh, and the Pope is back upon the scriptures and the traditions. And remember something, the Catholic Church ex-cathedra by influence of the um, ecclesiastical magisterium they call, that is the corpus or the body led by the Pope, the bishop, the cardinals, and, and some bishops. That, that, is, that is the authority, the main authority. They accept the tradition as authority. And through the, that authority, they accept elements into the Bible, like the Apocrypha, and also the um, scriptures or letters from the Pope. Bulls were the names in the past times, you know? And that is part of their authority. In this kind of tradition, these are the words, casual conversations of the prophet, Muhammad, or messenger. Um, and these are collected in this kind of tract. There are about six of them, uh, approximately six. And all of them begin saying Sahih. This is Sahih al-Bukhari. Sahih means the true sayings of al-Bukhari. And al-Bukhari was a Persian Arabic background individual who um, collected the traditions, facts, words, and elements of the prophet and collected in this. Sometimes when they don't have enough authority coming from the Quran, they go to the Hadith. And it's important that you know um, uh, this because when, when we are going to find, uh, let, me, let me share with you, I don't know if I, I have, I, I'm going to find it here, but this is, I was sharing sometimes when, uh, when I discover, when I discover something, whatever my wife is, is doing, um, I came up with that and say, look what I found. <laughs> This is on page 65. This is going to give you a hint. This is Sahih al-Bukhari, okay? Um, whatever, says, whatever says that faith is action, good deeds. So somebody asked to the prophet, what are the good deeds? And you know, in my mind came, um, came the parable of the Lord Jesus with the, the rich young ruler. What is the good thing, deed that I can do? Narrated by Abu Huraira uh, to the messenger. What is the best deed that I can um, make? And the prophet replied, to believe in Allah. 
That is the first, okay? So the questioner says, then ask, what is the next goodness? And he replied, listen what I'm going to say. He's here in the Hadith. He replied, to participate in the jihad. In the jihad, the holy war, the religious fighting in Allah's cause. So the first thing is to believe in Allah, and the second, to participate in jihad. When I was reading this, I came very happy to my wife and said, look what I found here. But she didn't ask me, why are you happy with this? But think about that you go to a mosque in which the Iman is reading this today. And you come here tomorrow and he repeat tomorrow. And you go upon there and listen um, Clinton Walin to be awry about the Prophet Allah or Muhammad. And he say, the first good that you are going to do before... Besides believing in Allah, is to enroll in jihad. And you came back to your church or mosque, and you listen and listen and listen. What is the result of that? Let me ask you, are not going you to react in favor of that invitation to be a jihadist? Hey, the prophet says, here it is, in the hadith. So it is not only, it's not only in the Quran, it's also in the corpus of the tradition. And that is a, a very, very, very critical element. Um, so besides the Quran, is the hadith, the verbal transmission, or the saying of the Prophet Muhammad, and Sahih al-Bukhari is a kind of summary of the hadiths of uh, Muhammad. Okay, um, I'm going to, to finish here, I guess. I don't know if you have any questions for the presentation of today, and we are going to continue tomorrow. Yes? So, when they refer to the hadith, that would be... Would that be similar to like the Catholics using the apocryphal and other Christian zones or sects in Islam that stay away from those and sects that, that use them still? Uh, are, are they unified on that as well as the Well, let me clarify something uh, to give you um, a further or, or wider, I would say, uh, hint in my reply. Remember what I said at the beginning. This is, this is not a religion. This is not a church. It's a regime. So it's going to affect the, the hadiths. It's not going to affect the mosque or, or the believers. It's going also to affect the judicial system by which they apply Sharia also. So the, the hadith is a kind of reinforcement authority besides the Quran that is going to favors uh, the, the process in which they are doing something. Wouldn't the catechism be more closer to hadith than uh, 
you know, like Bible catechism and for Catholics as opposed to the Quran Hadith? Because so, catechism asks questions the way you were doing this. Well, this is, this is not the question. They, um, um, I will say that there are, there are about, I mentioned, maybe I need to clarify that, there are approximately six, seven um, um, connections, links of the historical tradition, and sometimes there are variants among them, but all of them are um, chronologically, I would say, oriented. But there is not, there is a kind of index at the beginning, Jesusa. There is a kind of index uh, like a guidance. And this is made in Riyadh, by the way. So this is going to be authoritative for the Saudi Arabia kingdom and those who are in, in that kind of, of, of vision, uh, not for Iran. Or Iran probably is going to have another corpus of the Hadith. But in general, I will say it's, it's almost the same. It's, it's very close one to another. Yes? Um, I'm wondering if the Hadiths would not be uh, comparable to, like in Judaism, the Talmud, where they get, lean all, a lot of authority on the Talmud and out of the um, traditions of the fathers that Jesus spoke against when he said you're following the traditions of the elders out of the uh, oral law, the Talmud, was one question. The other thing that I just want... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let, let me let me answer that, and, because if not, I forget the first. <laughs> yes, it's a kind of that. It's a kind of that. Um, in the time of the Lord Jesus, the verbal or, or oral tradition becomes more authoritative than the writing tradition, and that is the dispute of Jesus, because the writings of what we call the Old Testament, and they call the scriptures, uh, um, or, or the Torah, um, they were, you know, uh, being submissive to the other. But in this kind of thing, I will say, Quran is going to be first, and the Hadith is a reinforcement of the, it's my understanding. So yes. you flip it, because the Jews made the Talmud more important than the writings? Um, in the time of the Lord Jesus, the, the verbal tradition were more authoritative for them than, than the scriptures. And the second question? The other thing, well, just to kind of expand it a little bit, because we work with Muslims, and we run into them all the time, but there are different sects in Islam, the Ahmadi Muslims, I think of, who they, they interpret the jihad differently. The Ahmadi Muslims are opposed to a uh, military jihad. They see it as, as education and infiltration. So just because you're working with a Muslim, and just because they're saying jihad, the Muslim you're working with may have a different understanding of jihad than ISIS, because there's different sects within that faith also. Yes, it's true. But I would say it's a kind of variance of the same right. same. The, the difference being the violence. So, so the false of the movement, in my view, involves everything, because in the root is the Quran and the Hadiths. And, and we are going to show you elements 
by which I do not believe in the prophetism of the Prophet Muhammad and also is questionable the Quran as a source of authority as such the Quran pretends to be for them in my point of view. So um, what you are going to find is variants of the same thing. Of course, there is a professor of um, Harvard University in this moment that is calling uh, to a reform, like like reformation movement in, inside the um, the Christianity um, that started, um, you know, the evangelical reform. She is calling um, a reform into the Islam. If it is going to happen, I don't think so. Because what you are going to find in that world is this. Or they are secular, or they are Muslim, Islamic, attached to the Quran and the Hadith. So it's very, very big the difference in one and the other. Yes? One thing that people need to be aware of is what they call taqiyya and kitma in, uh, in, in, the, uh, in Islam. Uh, basically means that they are allowed um, to, even though like um, supposedly murder and rape and things like this, they're against the Quran. Unless your reason, like lying, and these, and unless your reason for doing so is to further the aim of Islam, which is worldwide domination, which is one of the reasons why Islam is exploding in our prisons, because when you've got a bunch of people who are criminally mindset, and they're told, well, you can still do those things as long as you're doing it for Allah, they jump. Of course, yes. So, Takiyah and Kitma, they're allowed to do these things, and it's still acceptable in Islam, as long as their reason for doing so. Uh, in favor of the objectives, the main objectives of the Muslim. Hey, see you tomorrow. Blessings. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.